Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Moss. Uh, Welcome to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. I'll be your moderator today. And uh, as many of you know, I'm the president over at Embassy National Bank. And um, we bring you state of the current uh, state of the industry discussion topics uh, relative to small business. And today, have a great guest with us. We're going to talk about hotels. Um, our chairman of the board of Embassy National Bank, um, one of the founders, and uh, he's also a very, very successful um, hotel owner. Mr. Nitin Shaw is here with us today. Hey, Nitin. Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen you in a long time, Nitin. I know. <laughs> About, about six hours. Yeah. Uh, Nitin and I work together every day, so I guess i got to make that disclosure. But um, as you know, Embassy National Bank does a lot of hotel lending. And um, so, Nitin, talk a little bit about where the, where the industry is today. Industry is in ex- excellent shape since we were last time here at this uh, radio station. In last year and a half or so, I think the, the climax in the hotel industry has completely reversed to like 180 degrees. And the reason being is as the economy started picking up during from 2008 all the way to 2013, there was literally no new construction, very, very little of new construction because no financing was available. So as the economy grew and the demand picked up, all the existing hotels started doing very well because there's no supply addition to the room count. And as the economy continues to grow, all the existing hotels are doing well. So we have a record occupancy and record average daily rate and therefore record revenue. So industry is in one of the best shape it has ever been. Uh, It's almost like back to 2006 and 2007. Uh, um, With the one exception that new construction is still hard to come by because a lot of lenders are still wary of giving large construction loans. So I think it bodes well for the next three-year run for the hotel industry because even if you start building hotel today, it'll be two, three years before it'll open. Yeah, we we started we started to see some new construction deals. In fact, I heard about one today, and I'm still blown away by the fact it's going to cost ninety thousand dollars a door right. to build a hotel, and that doesn't even include land cost. Right. So, you know, like a, a Fairfield 80 rooms, I mean, that's a that's a big price tag. Yes, it is. And unfortunately, the cost of all the construction material, the commodity, the copper, the sheetrock, the concrete, because the oil price, which just has gone down in the last six weeks, but before that, because the oil prices remained high, all the commodity prices remained high even during the recession because oil was high. You know, you're trading at three and a half, four dollars. So therefore, the construction cost has not come down. Only they came down by 5%, 10% because a lot of contractors had no jobs. So they were taking anything to keep their key people busy. And uh, so I'm really surprised the construction cost hasn't gone down. But now with the oil prices going down, I hope it gets reflected in the commodity prices and hopefully some construction price will come down. I just cross my finger. I don't know why would somebody reduce the price if people are used to paying it. It's like airline. 
you know, you're paying 500 bucks for a ticket. Just because oil price has gone down, they need to reduce the price of the airline. But I don't think they will. We we always talk to our borrowers about um, uh, building versus buying and fixing up. And we kind of always push them into the buy and fix up route because it is cheaper. And, uh, you know, we've got an existing uh, revenue stream and everything else. And I, I still subscribe to that uh, philosophy for right now because you can still pick up nicer property at fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a room, sometimes even cheaper than that, put another ten on it. So you can get a brand new running property at about 70000 a key, which is twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 less than what you'll build in new. Then you don't have to wait for two years to first have the first dollar walk come in the door. Your revenue is immediate. So I still subscribe, it's much less riskier you don't have to go to construction contract. You don't have to go to zoning. You don't have to go to the lien and contractor problems that every construction contractor goes through. So it's much easier to buy an existing property, which is rightly branded, renovate the property, just cosmetic renovation. I'm talking about painting and sheet rock and wallpaper, and get it running. And you have a nice cash flow from next day. Um, and you can always upgrade down the road as cash flow and NOI improves. Yeah, you could, but to begin with, if you're rightly branded, you know, uh, you could always do that if you have a nice, say, for example, property that has a good physical box, and suddenly a good franchise leaves the system because it was a weaker property, that you could always have that chance to reflag it. Now, as you know, we deal a lot in the midsize and mostly economy franchises, and that's the bulk of the hotel owners throughout right. the industry, isn't it? So we don't really don't, we really don't. Uh, cater to the to the great big hotels, the big Marriotts, uh, some of the New York hotels. But we do a lot with the mid franchises and some with the economy franchises. And um, what's that progress like? Is that similar to what you had just talked about? Yeah, there are people in the industry, Wyndham, Choice Hotels, they have some what I call economy budget type of brands. And they have too much of overlap of similar brands or same brands. So they're trying to figure out how to differentiate one brand from another from the customer perspective in terms of, you know, hey, what is Super 8, what is Econla, so and so forth. So they're trying to take some of the better brands, upgrade it a notch, and create that price differentiation or product differentiation so that the consumer know there are two different brands with two different level of service and product, and one is better than other and they can pay for it, and if you don't want to pay, you can stay in this other brand. What that is entailing all the franchisee is a lot of weaker people who cannot take the property, they're notch up, either because revenue is not there or because their physical box is so bad they can't make it look good, then probably they'll get terminated and they'll probably reposition to what we call in this business soft lending. They'll go to a weaker brand mm -hmm. in the whole same system. And those who have better boxes, they'll stay there, or those owners may even upgrade it to some another brand mm -hmm. if it's available. So, I mean, it's, this is, there's a paradigm shift happening in terms of the this big, giant hotel companies realizing that you got to create the product differentiation just like you have in, in any other product so that customers are not confused. And some of them have found out a little too late, and it's too late for their brand to get it improved. 
Yeah, I, you know, being relatively new to this to this industry and getting a uh, education through immersion, um, I'm always fascinated by the fact there aren't that many franchisors. There are a lot of brands, but there aren't that many franchisors. For example, Choice owns how many franchises? Choice owns seven or eight. Wyndham owns 11, 12, Marriott. I mean, there are many small franchisors that you and I don't see it, but they are regional-based. Like there's a red line in, in Oregon and yeah. whatnot, and there's a, you know, American in Ohio and whatnot. They are very regionally-based. There are only 10 or 12 large franchises, which will be Marriott, Hilton, Intercontinental Hotel Choice, Wyndham, Carlson, Red Roofs. So there's enough of them there. Problem in our industry is a lot of product needs to be demolished. Hmm. We are under-demolished, not overbuilt. Okay, and, and uh, there is no alternate use that has been found yet. Hmm. So a lot of hotels are lingering on what I call a break-even stage forever. People are owning it. They run it because their family members are there. They could break even easily. It's place for them. Yes, yeah, their home. How do you tear yeah. down their home? So that's why this industry is surviving. Otherwise, you would see a lot of alternate use, and it is happening in some hotels. A lot of interior corridor hotels are converting to healthcare facility, assisted living, uh, personal care homes. So I think you'll see more and more of innovative use for those products that have seen their day as a hotel, and get used up into some other use. But it has not occurred at a mass scale yet. All right, well, there, there are th three things going on that I see in the industry that are pretty big. The first is what I would call the, the desire of franchisor to upscale himself, to compete with another franchisor. That means increase his amenities, his, his look, whatever. Um, and the second is the emergence of this extended stay market. And then the third is what you mentioned is what to do with an older older hotel. What's the alternative use? But we've seen a couple of instances, Nitin, where where um, um, a borrower comes to us and says they've gotten a termination letter from their franchisor mm -hmm. because they've seen some derogatory comments or make an excuse or something about on the website, and therefore. Uh, we want you to terminate, but you can stay with us if you'll spend two to three hundred thousand dollars on the property. Um, otherwise, we'll have to, as you call it, do a soft landing, exit our brand, and go to something else. What's going on? What's going on with that? Well, you asked me three questions. First question is when they're trying to take the, their brand and notch up, and those people who can't fit that profile have been asked to spend money to make the brand go notch up, and they can't because of whatever reason they can't get financing or the physical box is not fair enough. Those people have been asked, in my opinion, not, I would say, it's really when you sign a franchise agreement, that was not told. So you are giving giving me under the, you have to meet the brand standards and brand standards keep on changing. So in my opinion, it's unfair for you to come to the brand specification so drastically in the middle of a franchise and then ask them to upgrade it unnecessarily when I bought knowing what the brand I was buying. Okay. So that is, to me, is unfair, but nevertheless, franchisers have gotten so big, there are, a lot of them are public companies, a lot of them are owned by private equity funds, and it's a classic example of big guys really going after small little guy in mom and pop operations. And I hate to see that happening, but more and it's happening more and more. 
So, so on that's, that particular one, you under an existing franchise agreement, someone could come to uh, an owner and say, you don't meet our brand standards, which we just changed last night. We want you to upgrade. Yes, and that is where the problem in this franchise agreement industry has been. Our association, Asian American Hotel Owner Association, have been working to correct that they can't, they have to do in a fair dealing and they can't be unfair about stuff. But they are so big, their lobby is so big, you know, we have not been able to change the the prototype franchise agreement to the large extent. It's very wide. It, they can really have wide latitude in what they really can do to a brand. And that is because that's not their money. They just own the damn brand name. Right. So it's your money, the franchisee's money, so they can expect that, hey, we need to take a couple of notches off. We made a mistake. Now, you know, time has changed. We brought another two brands that look same to the last brand. So take this old brand and make it a little notch up and make everybody spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. And to, to me, that's really unfair. Yeah, and we saw, in fact— It's like making a mom-and-pop restaurant into McDonald's or something. Yeah, so and, in fact, we saw one where the franchise agreement was signed three years ago. And they were just approached and said, you've got to upgrade, and they were unable to do that. So right. they have to fall out of it. And and unfortunate part of it is, is then there are liquidated damages that you have to pay. So a lot of people can't upgrade and can't get out for free. So what they are doing is say, okay, I'll I'll soft lend you to my another weaker brand. Charge you a fee. Charge you an entry fee. You pay for the change of the sign and blah, blah, blah. And we don't have to pay liquid damages. That way they keep that reoccurring stream of franchise royalty fees coming and still clean up the brand at my expense as a franchisee. All right, so um, let's stop for a minute. Uh, this is On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. This is Joe Moss, and we're talking with Nitin Shaw today, who is chairman at Embassy, about the hotel industry, specifically some of the economy franchises that are out there. Nitin, what should a franchisee do when that happens? What recourse do they have? Not much, really. I mean, all you can do is fight with the franchisor. But the problem here is by the time you spend the money on the lawyers, you might as well spend money on the property <laughs> and get it improved and whatnot. And the franchise agreement, if you read it, they are so one-sided in favor of the franchisor. There is very little you can do because basically it says you have to meet our brand standards. And because the technology changes, customer test changes, we have right to change the you know underlying signature elements of the brand, and under that, these guys they can literally do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't blame them to some degree that customer tastes do change, but you know then you need to come up with figure out a way to make sure there is a balance for cost and benefit analysis as to you know how much can you do, how much can our employees, I mean our franchisee can afford to do it. Is there a return on that investment or not? Just taking a blanket statement and say, okay, because a lot of people in TripAdvisor are saying blah, blah, blah. Let's start putting bigger towel in the rooms or painting one room differently or whatnot. I mean, there is no cost-benefit analysis done, in my opinion. It's just one president comes in and says, you know, he's the president of this brand. He wants to take a couple of notches up, gets bored to get it convinced, and suddenly domino starts. Yeah. What... um should the franchisees stop paying their franchise fees? A lot of franchises do that. Those that are strong, they understand the game. They understand that this is unfair. They are trying to fight with franchise, and you'll see numerous lawsuits in their FTC disclaimer when you buy a franchise. All the lawsuits are listed. Mm-hmm. And it's happening more and more because all these weaker people can't really afford to spend money. There is no financing available yet. 
often time even the financing available the bank would say okay there's no rate of return that i see in in terms of increase in revenue other than making your trip advisor score look good mm-hmm. you know i need to figure out way to make money and and those guys are are going to be in the court more and more and i think the litigation is going to increase all right from a banker standpoint what should these franchisees do with their banker when all this stuff starts to happen? Well, my suggestion to franchisees would be communicate with your banker. Tell them what's exactly is happening. Up front. Up front. And tell them this is what the brand is asking us to do. Oftentimes, uh, people will tell you too late by the time they are all terminated or in they are in default. And that makes the banker feel really that he was hiding something. Right. Instead of saying that, hey, they're changing the brand, they're asking me to spend $150,000 that I can't afford to spend. Unless you are willing to give me, I'll spend fifty. you give me hundred. And if we as a banker can do that, you'd be fine. But if we can't because the numbers don't work, then the only thing that I think would be acceptable to really, you know, situate them into a lower, lower brands. Because mm-hmm. we don't have any choice. We are stuck with that. So, I mean, it's a really uh, question that has no answer, so to speak. As other than both both parties has to communicate and do what is the best for the bank and what's best for the property. Yeah, and 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 the the one thing the banker doesn't want to get is a default notice from the franchisor. Right. Um, that's happened to us. Uh, like you said, we think what's going on, um, and then we find out the process has been ongoing for about nine months. Right. Well, I think what is happening in the lower brand hotels that Embassy is doing is a lot of people are finding their home at in, in extended stay market. Yeah, let's talk to about that. Because if they have a lower brand, two-story exterior corridor property, and they think they've, they've seen their days as a daily rental, mm-hmm. a lot of people are finding that there is a market uh, for extended stay monthly, weekly, bi-weekly rentals, where there are a lot of in-betweeners in the country, in-between projects, in between homes, in between divorces, in between marriages. Those people can't really sign a long-term lease because they don't know where they're going to stay or they are there for short-term project. They can't afford to pay daily uh, rate. So they want to go in this extended stay hotel. So a lot of uh, franchisees have an opportunity to kind of either take one building out, create an extended stay, take it out of the franchise agreement so they save on the royalty fee because the occupancy is not there to justify it. Unfortunately, the franchisers don't want to listen to that because they they don't want to they reduce want the money. The, yeah. They don't want to reduce the room count, right? Because it looks bad on Wall Street, you know, especially if they're a public company. So they basically are not answering. So a lot of franchises are are left, but nothing to do but to go in some kind of default to get their attention. And when you don't pay the fees for two or three months, you suddenly get attention, and then. <laughs> Then the best you can do is start negotiating as to what you wanted. Hey, my occupancy is less than 35%. There's no need for me to have 110 rooms. I got this one building that is stuck on separately. There are 50 rooms. Can I convert into extended stay or apartments or some kind of monthly, weekly rental? And these days with internet and, you know, all these websites, you can advertise your uh, rooms and people fill up weekly and monthly and government Yeah, we were help. talking about that last night. I'm sure everybody's pretty familiar with Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, you indicated last night that there's some hotel owners that are putting rooms out on Airbnb. Yes. 
That's fascinating. Well, I mean, in a in a sense, it's a threat to the hotel industry because now suddenly your ex- extra bedroom is a rental property. Your uh, apartment that are not been sold out is an extra hotel rooms. Your uh, uh, beach house suddenly is an extra room that you can advertise, and that's really hurting the hotel industry because they are not paying hotel motel tax. Right. So we are unfairly treated in terms of paying 12, 15 in New York, like 20% tax. And you can stay at somebody's house and pay 20% less even for the same rate. So Airbnb is becoming Uber of uh, taxi cab service. Okay, and I think that is threatening to us, but if somehow hotel can figure out a separate one building and not franchise it, put it on a website like Airbnb or uh, any of uh, Craigslist and stuff like that, I mean, people will fill up the rooms, and we saw that one hotel up in Jacksonville where they had like 60 rooms sold out just on a Craigslist. Yeah. Well, let's talk about extended stay because I'm just fascinated by this. It's become the new apartment building. Yes. Because apartment owners need one year up front or one year first and last month rent. They want you to sign a one-year lease, uh, sometimes 18-month lease. The alternative is just to to check into a hotel for a week. Right. And um, I've seen – I've met people said, yeah, I checked in two years ago, thought I was going to be here two weeks. Right. And they're still there. It's their home. And they're perfectly happy. Yeah. I mean, I've seen school buses coming to these hotels. It's unfortunate. But some counties and some jurisdictions are getting very tough about it because there's no playground for kids. Kids are stuck in one room and whatnot. So you will see that whole area get evolved, but people are people can't afford to pay deposit. There's a lower end of the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Economic strata of these people is they don't have $1,000 sitting in the bank account. They mm-hmm. don't have a bank account sometimes. They have a job, but they go week to week. They pay the rent when they come get a paycheck, stay there for a couple of weeks, make money, eat, go to work every day. I mean, it's unfortunate you see this happening, but I mean, I think it's that's why extended stay market has taken place. I mean, it's really construction workers, Oil rigs, people going on an off project for two, three months away from their home. They don't want to sign 18 months, 12 months lease. Mm-hmm. They don't get stuck with utility bills and whatnot. They want. They don't want to do nothing. They just stay there, eat, go to work, and come back. Right. And for them, it's extremely great to stay in a good extended stay hotel. They don't have to pay no utility bills, no insurance. You got breakfast in the morning. No property tax. You have <laughs> breakfast or at least coffee in the morning. And you get up and go, and once and once a week, they clean your room. You get free towels, free soap. So I think it does. What hotel industry has done is meet a need of a people. And a lot of lenders out there look down on the extended stay. We look at them and go, "Man, that makes a lot of sense." Yes, I mean it because the customer and clientele is poor. Doesn't mean it's a bad industry. It's just when you walk into the hotel and kind of people you see, construction workers and laborers and whatnot, it gives an impression of a place where there could be happening, a lot of things could be happening, but not all extended stay are same. Now, you would have in extended stay some elements of people where there'll be problem of drug dealings and prostitutions and whatnot. But by and far, if they are franchise extended stay, then they could be much better because they are really being supervised by the franchisor and there are standards they have to follow. But franchises are getting big time into all kind of three segments of extended stay, the lower brand, the middle brand, and, 
and higher ground like yeah. Residence Inn and Homewood Six. Well, Residence Inn been around for a while, but yes. the, we we lent money um, three months ago on one up in Cobb County, and I went on the the uh, site inspection, and uh, I went in there not introducing who I was, and I asked the lady, uh, "Can I get a room?" She said, "Well, maybe I can get you in next month." And this was a 110 room hotel. Right. I mean, they were full. Yeah. At at two hundred twenty five dollars a week too. Yes. So I find that whole move pretty fascinating. That the the apartment buildings are are yielding to the uh, to the to the hotels. And this is the best use for those buildings that I was talking about. They're sure. Thirty forty year old. You just dress it up, cosmetically speaking. You know, rented by week, rented by by week, month. Government section eighty people might even start staying because they'll save more money that they're staying in a home. So it all depends on you know where the the demand leads to the supply. But I think it's there to stay. Um, let's go back to the brand changes just for a minute. I want to summarize all that. So it's inevitable that it might happen to a franchisee. Yes. Um, Especially if they've been in the franchise for, uh, say, five years or more. Right. Um, what about particular franchisors? Is it all of them, or should they just worry about? Are there cer- certain franchisees that need to worry about worry more than others? The the problem is really caused by the big publicly owned companies because they are under stress to increase revenue. All right. So that's the publicly owned franchisor. If you're part of that, you may find yourself forced yourself to to try to upgrade everything i mean i mean remember their main job is to make sure shareholders are happy they don't care less about franchisee there's a classic conflict here as to what shareholder would want and what a franchisee wants and shareholders always win because they own the company and you want to make sure your share prices are up every quarter and if you have three thousand hotels of a particular brand there's no more room to grow Right. So only way you can grow the royalty fees is increase the revenue of the people, existing hotel. Only way you increase the revenue is take them notch up, make somebody else spend money mm-hmm. to get a better revenue. Well, the customer ultimately will pay because the ADR has got to go up. I know, but because there is oversupply of rooms, customer sure. have a choice. So somebody's going to get hurt. And and one of the wor- one of the I guess not worse, but probably the most dramatic one we saw was a gentleman that wanted to buy a hotel up in North Carolina, would buy a comfort suite. It wasn't built, but more than, I don't know, five, six years ago. And he wanted to put it, make it a comfort suite. So he got Choice in and Choice wanted him to not, they wanted him to put a whole nother floor on the hotel. Yes. It was going to cost him over a million dollars. Well, what a lot of brands are doing after, the 10, 15 years ago, this went against the exterior corridor brand. They said exterior corridor brand looks like a motel. We want a hotel-looking box. And, and now, after 10, 15 years, suddenly people are saying, oh, it's a two-story interior corridor. It still looks like a motel. And I don't want my brand to look like a motel. I don't want my brand to look like a hotel. So they are asking that all our brands be three-story or up. Sometimes they're not even accepting three stories. So they think anything about three stories is going to look like a hotel. Mm-hmm. So some brands are specifically moving to certain type of physical characteristics of a product. It gives you a perception of a hotel versus motel and therefore better rates versus the lower rate for the lower brand. So that's what you're seeing in a lot of two-story interior corridor hotels are going to have same issues 
as exterior corridor properties. And, and I guess what we'd really encourage for people out there, if they've got debt, a couple of things that I would encourage if, if, uh, if they got debt on the hotels. One is be very open with your lender about what's going on. Right. Don't surprise your lender. Let them be a partner. They right. might be able to help you, especially at embassy. Um, through Nitton, we have this massive entree into AHOA. And they could potentially, they're helping all the time anyways. And, right. and Nitton, you know a lot of the representatives down this way. And you've helped a couple of hotel owners. So be very upfront with the banker. And two, you know, the thing that I keep seeing is that depreciation, a lot of people say, oh, that's not cash. But depreciation is a very real item. So it make sure you're reserving maintenance, something going along, because it's inevitable that these changes are going to hit you. You need to have some cash to try to get through them. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, in that strata of category of hotels, if you are really barely breaking even or making money, there's no money to put reserves. Right. Some smart hoteliers would do that or maintain the property at all the time in good conditions while you're doing it, the everyday stuff. But I agree with you, 4 or 5% reserve needs to be set aside for you to have the brand changes required. And even in not economy hotel, I'm talking about all the bigger hotels. Sure. I mean, all the, remember, good brands came into existing in 90s, that 15, 20-year license. They're all expiring. So those brands are coming with multi-million dollar renovation package. I want the whole brand to look completely different. In your hotels, you've got a pretty significant pip coming up on most of them, I would yeah, think. Yeah, because mine are all coming for renewal the next, the next five years. So. And every franchisor wants its own identity. Plus, they want to look a fresh look. They look at, at the 70, 80 million millennials that are born between 80, 74, and 2004. And there are 80 million of them. And they think that is the market to go after because they are going to grow up with a brand or with a club or with a frequency program. So they are trying to figure out what their taste is. Mm -hmm. Their taste, unfortunately, is completely different than the baby boomers. Baby boomers like more older, heritage-looking properties where these people look very contemporary-looking buildings. What's with the colors? Because this, this particular millennial, 80 million strong group of travelers look brighter colors, well-lighted buildings, funky stuff, and the older crowd wanted more traditional stuff, uh, you know, mahogany furniture or cherry-looking furniture, and this kids despise that. So you got this brand really thinking what the hell to do with this brand that we just built five years ago. They're already looking obsolete. So all this brand at the renewal are saying, oh, Mr. Shah, if you want to really keep this brand after the renewals, you got to change the whole look. You got the curved canopy. You got a big band of blue color or orange color in the middle of a building. I, and we, sometimes a lot of people like us think I, that you know it's going to get old too quick. Okay. Well, we we have a we, we're doing a pip for a borrower down in South Carolina. They're doing a quality in, and I just saw the pictures. And I guess maybe what they're trying to do is blend the good with the bad because they they they've got um, brown mahogany material. With and lime green, so I I just I guess maybe they're trying to put those two together. The I don't get the colors. The best way to do, in my opinion, is yes, there is a 80 million strong millennial market, but they're not the one with the money. No, the money is with the baby boomers, the especially the disposable income. 
So baby boomers are We're ready to be the ones traveling. Yeah, baby boomers are ready to travel. The millenniums are there from Monday to Thursday market. In my opinion, the best hotel would be the one that combines both. You take a floor and make a millennial floor. Take a floor and make a woman floor. <laughs> I mean, there are so many take things. Take a floor, you could, make an extended stay. That's what we've asked. We, yeah, you could do all that stuff if you really do it right. And and uh, you talk about this extended stay. In the, there is a dual branding going on, by the way. You could build a building where one wing is extended stay. Sure. And then one was a regular daily hotel. You got just one built here in Midtown Atlanta, where one building is Hilton Garden Inn, and attached to that same building on the another wing is the Homewood Suites. So both extended stay are uh, together. Problem here is how do you take those people who are taking a free breakfast at Homewood Suite and those people who are paying for breakfast in the morning at Hilton Garden Inn from not coming to this side of the building and having a free breakfast? Do what they do on a cruise ship. They give them a uh, colored wristband or something you can't do that man. <laughs> <laughs> i look like a jailer <laughs> um so going back to this i guess we're going to call this uh brand upgrades uh franchise upgrades and just beware because it's out there it's real and uh a lot of lot of um competition going on among the franchisors i guess they just all want to look different so um Save your pennies. It's coming. Talk with your banker. Um, you know, and if you stop paying your franchise fees, which some people are doing to get attention, and I understand how that can work, at least let your banker know what you're doing so he's not surprised. I agree with you. And I think franchisor needs to really f f refocus where there's a balance between shareholders and the franchisees. You can't take money from one person which are franchisees, and say, okay, I'll figure out at their expense how to increase the value of my shareholder. Sooner or later, this franchise is going to find out, and they'll see their bank accounts are depleting. They're not doing very well. They'll take a flight from that franchise system, and they'll never come back. In my opinion, franchising is a people's business. You have gotten somebody with 15, 20-year contract. That doesn't mean he's going to leave out the contract. If he can't make money, he's going to figure out a way to get out. Mm -hmm. And because nobody has unlimited resources. So they're going to figure out a way to get out. You're going to be in the court system forever. There will be lawsuits eventually. There may be class action. If somebody says, you know, what is brand standard? Define me the brand standard. You can't tell me to put 50-inch television rooms in a Super 8 or a small brand franchise. So I think franchise and franchise both understand that customers do change. Their taste changes. We understand that. But you cannot take a one drastic step and make somebody spend millions of dollars where there's no return on their investment. And that part is a classic conflict between franchisee and shareholders, uh, you know, good. Yeah, I agree completely. What about the uh, argument of going independent? Only problem with independent is even, there is a big uh, market right now for what they call lifestyle hotels where they are independent, but they are full service, they cater to these very high-end customers, like Dream Hotels in New York, or Glen Hotels, or Delamoro in Miami Beach and whatnot, creepy name, creepy looking stuff. You go there, they have massage parlors, they got sauna, jacuzzi, they have little restaurants. Well, they're a destination then. No, they're in all kind of markets. You go to Chicago downtown, you'll find three or four, you go to Atlanta downtown, that's it. But those independents are different than the independent that you and I are talking about. You're talking about mom and pop people becoming independent. I think a day would come where internet 
reservation system through the website marketing would be so good and somebody will come like a AAA program saying that Orahoa can do it. Buy a brand, reconvert all these people into a one brand like a Best Western is a membership organization. It's not really a franchise system. You become a member of it, we'll hire a management team to run our system. We create 800 number, we create our third-party websites and go on and Be reasonable with our fees and yeah, give them a reservation yeah, system. Yeah, Best Western right now is half the fee that other franchises charge. So a lot, it's almost like doing a mini Airbnb. Yes. With a, with a system in place for you to have critical mass immediately when you start. So if I were to take 1,000 of home members out of, say, 22,000 hotels, and the 1,000 of you sign up, in 2016, January 1st, we're going to start Friendlies in. And this 1,000 people are signed up. We have 1-800 number. we got a website. we got AAA designation. Here are the criteria of the rooms, and we're going to have yearly license. You can get out anytime you want. It doesn't look like a franchise. Something like that needs to happen to really get this. Sounds like our next project, Nitin. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I've been dreaming about that for the last few years. Um, well, so noted. So noted. Um, we only got another four minutes or so. Um Let's talk about one of my favorite subjects, Embassy National Bank. Nitin, talk about Embassy. Where are we? Where we've come from? What does the future look like for us? Well, Embassy National Bank, in my opinion, is the best shape it ever was. We are now in a growth mode. We are looking futuristically to see what our options are. We want to grow. We want to create shareholder values. And we are, you know, going in a different line of businesses. We are expanding our portfolio mix. And we are in a great shape. And I think opportunity is here for uh, some players to come together and really create a bigger bank. A um, lot of competition have been eliminated. Atlanta and Georgia have been the poster child of bank closings. And those who survived ought to really make a great thing out of it because you made it. Your competition have been eliminated. You did the right thing because you survived. You served the customer. You served the community. And I think embassy is in a great shape right now to serve the community, the need of the Asian-American hotel owners or Asian-American community at large. And, in my opinion, mainstream community at large. You know, we are well capitalized. We are earning money. Um, we hardly have any bad assets left. So I think embassy is in great shape it ever was. Yeah, our uh, let me just tell you, uh, the listeners, embassy just believes the small business is the backbone of the economy. Yeah. And we're here to help small business. That's what this program's all about. Um, Nitin, you do a lot of writing um, yes. to help people with uh, different issues. That's what that's all about. Our whole drill is to help small business. And um, when that happens, we end up benefiting as, as a result. And I, my... my, my value proposition to a, a, a particular borrower is that we are just not lending money. We are trying to figure out to help you holistically in your entire business game. Oftentimes, you know, Joe, we sit down with the borrower and tell you, you need to do this, you need to do that, and, and save them entire brand, expenses, money, sometimes their lifestyle. And, and I think that's one of the unique factors that you'll find at our bank that you won't find anywhere else or people are helping you more than just giving you money. We are trying to realize your dream. Yeah, and yesterday we gave out some free lawyer advice, too. Yes. Oh, what a story that is. I don't want to talk about it on the air, but um, 
Um, boy, there's a lot of there, people do. Small business does need a lot of help. One good thing about Embassy is that we, we've been through a lot of these struggles ourselves with our own small business so that we know what can happen to you and, and, and how the banker might react. Yes. And by the way, Nitin, did, did we ever get any federal assistance? No. No, we did not get one penny. Right. Um, so that's something we're also very proud of. Um, our producer, Mike Salmon, just clapped, by the way. Yeah, we are very proud of that, and that's something that we're actually going to market as we go forward. Um, uh, so what's one last thing I, I wanted to ask you about, the impact of lower gas prices on the mid- and small-size hotel market. Good, bad? Great, because a lot of people will be traveling. I just saw the article in the paper that everybody's going to have 1200 extra dollars a year because of the gas, gasoline savings. My only worry is some state like North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, where they will see a lot of small oil companies going bust. Yeah. Because especially if they are running on a borrowed money, they can't afford the gas prices below $60 a barrel. And that's the trick that OPEC is playing with America because they want them to go out of business to again raise the prices again forever. So in short term, at least, hotel business is going to do a gangbuster because I think the prices of the oil are going to remain low. We used to export. That's just got to help. We ex we used to, America used to ex import 60% of their oil in 2005. Today we are importing only 30%. And we've got how many? And OPEC is so scared that it will go down to zero. So they will be out of business. Who the hell will be buying their and oil? And how many, how many gallons now? Do, how many barrels do we have just sitting? The, the inventory levels of. Oh, gone. that runs for six months. Yeah, we're, in we're Louisiana. Up, yeah, but we're up twenty percent in these. Uh, in some of the. If I were them, I would buy more because who would give you this price? Just why not? Load it up. And I guess there's not. But a, I think the, the 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 message here is the paradigm in the oil industry is shifting forever. This is fracking, and thank God they went the price went about hundred dollars, because we learned to be self-sufficient. We went from 60% import to 30%, now go to 20 with our solar energy, wind energy, electric. With all the people becoming green, the use will become less and less, and and OPEC will have to make a sense. You know, I don't think oil price belongs more than $50 forever. Right. Unless India, China, all these people start doing crazy stuff and start importing a lot of oils, I don't see yeah. why the price should go up. Well, and I tell you what, if you're out there and you're driving this holiday season, because um, we are getting kind of close to the end of the year, if you're driving this holiday season and you happen to see a uh, sleep-in over there on the side of the road, uh, stop in because that's a great value. A lot of these uh, economy hotels uh, are just beautiful inside, absolutely beautiful. You get a room for 70, 80 bucks a night, and you feel like you're staying at much, the— Much less sometimes. And you're staying at the Ritz-Carlton or something. It's unbelievable what's going on out there. Plus, you get a free breakfast. And you get a free breakfast. And you get someone to smile at you at the front desk. And then you don't have to stand in line like you go to a big hotel, and they say, oh, it's a full service. Where is the health service? I'm in seventh in line. Right, right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much, Nitin. I All appreciate right. you being here. Thank and, you for uh, the invite. And— um, uh, onward and upward. So listen, everybody, um, all you hotel owners, put your money away. Uh, save your money because these uh, upgrades are coming. Communicate with your banker. And uh, as I always say at the end of every show, just be real careful out there. So thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.